BJ, the stage is yours. Thanks. No war, but class war. No war, but class war. Only one kind of war is acceptable, class war. Isn't it great to be in the People's Forum? And to the entire staff of the People's Forum, and of course, Manolo, we have to thank them. I mean, this is a beachhead in an outrageously wretched, ruling class-dominated world. You have to build from here, but you have to first secure this. So always keep in mind the importance of places like the People's Forum. If we didn't have this, we couldn't have this meeting. It's really important that we build institutions, we build infrastructure, we build the place where we stand and say we're not moving. Because it's from where you stand that you can walk. So just remember this place. It's not just a place where you come occasionally. It's the beachhead of our movement. So when you leave this place, make sure to find somebody who works at the People's Forum. And despite the fact that Biden has said that the pandemic is over, maybe give them a hug. Because it is tense to have events like this. Particularly when very strange elements say that they're going to come and do violence or disrupt an event. It creates neurological tension for weeks. So make sure to recognize that they're carrying this for us. No war, but class war. Last night, my daughter Rosa and I went to see the new Black Panther movie. Now, it's an incredible movie. It's one of the best made films I've seen in a long time. Three hours long, it could have gone on for six hours. I mean, it was incredible. And I was really enjoying it, especially the moment when out of the water emerges this great Mayan god who comes out onto the beach, and he proposes a historical alliance between the people of Wakanda, the free African Republic, most powerful country in the world, and this undersea Mayan kingdom, which has been able to resist the Colombian depredation of the Americas. They went undersea and developed a great civilization, the two vibranium powers of Wakanda and this great Mayan empire were going to come together. And he said, we'll crush, effectively, the imperialists. We'll crush them. We'll destroy them. It was so exciting. I, I couldn't wait for what was going to come next. I thought, this is going to be the best film ever. And then the screenwriters lost their nerve. 
And then the screenwriters just couldn't take it to the next level. Because at that point, you see, the interesting thing is that the CIA character in the film is a hobbit. <laughs> so, if you have the CIA character being a hobbit, it's really hard to dislike the CIA. And he's the cute hobbit. You, you remember? And the director of the CIA is Elaine from Seinfeld. <laughs> I mean, how could you dislike <laughs> Elaine from Seinfeld? You have a hobbit and you have Elaine as the CIA. And the guy who's the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. playing with his glasses is the nice guy from House of Cards. He's a nice guy. And also he sort of looks like somebody's grandfather. He's kind of clueless in the movie. So suddenly the screenwriters lose their nerve and in come the Yanks. And the Yanks are really nice people, benevolent. Because U.S. imperialism is benevolent. It's a hobbit. It's Elaine. And it's the grandpa figure. The villain must be the Mayan. So suddenly, this great Mayan king from under the, you know, under the Caribbean Sea comes up with a diabolical plan. He says to the Wakandans, I don't really care if you haven't seen the film. <laughs> I am, I am sort of, I am, I am sort of ruining it for you. But let me tell you, it's a really good film. And my synopsis is really quite irrelevant because anyway, I'm so crazy, I probably saw the wrong film. I'm interpreting the film as erroneously, as I obviously interpret reality. So, the Wakandans, he says, this great Mayan king, the Wakandans, either, they have a choice. They have actually George Bush's choice. Either you're with us or you're against us. He says to them, either you fight with us to destroy all the powers, aka the great anti-colonial alliance against imperialism, my great fantasy. I was thinking the movie is going to go again in that direction, despite The Hobbit, despite Elaine. Either you make this great anti-colonial alliance against the imperialists, or we'll attack you. Now, it's an unfortunate choice, and I very much doubt that the great Mayan kingdom from under the sea would demand this choice of their Wakandan comrades. I very much doubt this. But nonetheless, that's what the screenwriter had to do because they had to make the Mayan diabolical. Because the CIA is the Hobbit. And the Mayan has to be diabolical. So, well, obviously you know what happens. <laughs> you see, the Wakandans, who had lost the Black Panther, as you know, 
from the first um, film, uh, <laughs> the Wakandans could very well at that point have said, well, let's negotiate. Let's have a diplomatic dialogue. Let's have a discussion, a sit down. You know, when Noam Chomsky and I were writing the book, The Withdrawal, at one point in our conversation, he said, United States is like the mafia. He said, it's like, they're like the godfather. And right through our conversation, he kept referring to the US government as a godfather. If you don't like what the US government says and you don't agree to do what they say, they're going to whack you. The first time Noam said that to me, they're going to whack you, I, I had to start laughing because um, at the time, Noam was, you know, the full Noam with a lot of beard and a lot of hair. Little Gandalf the wizard Noam. And when he said, they're going to whack you, I, I started laughing. But I thought about that a lot. And of course, neither Noam Chomsky nor I um, have really, maybe he has, he, he knows everything about everything. But okay, speaking for myself, my entire understanding of the mafia comes from the movies. As you can see, most of my references are from films. <laughs> so I know The Godfather, the three films, which I love a lot. And I, of course, know The Sopranos, which I think, you know, at least the first season was terrific, after which it sort of lost its way. And even in the mafia films, I say to Noam, they negotiate, they have the sit down, you know, people sit down and they talk and I, admittedly some of them bring guns under the table and they wipe out the opposition in the middle of the so-called negotiation, but at least they have the thing called the sit down. So in the film, unlike the US government, which doesn't do the sit down, in fact, as Brian has laid out so well, does the opposite of the sit down, accelerates war, the Wakandans could have asked for a sit-down. But in fact, they didn't. Instead, they allowed a possibility of negotiations to be displaced and a war to be accelerated. A war which was, which was catastrophic for both the Wakandans and for the Mayans. And meanwhile, the Hobbit and Elaine and Biden are sitting back in the United States, smiling. In fact, the Hobbit gets imprisoned, but that's a separate story. But you see how casually imperialist propaganda works. Here we have a film, a beautiful film, with at one level a remarkable message about an independent people, a sovereign people on the African continent, an incredible, message. The child of Lumumba. What a name to have chosen. It's an incredible story for people around the world. An independent African, not happy with the kingdom part. Not happy with the kingdom part. But, you know, let's just, for our purposes, call it a republic. An independent, sovereign republic on the African continent. And then, because you know how difficult it is to be sovereign in the Americas. If you're Cuba, for instance, you get embargoed and you get sabotaged and assassination attempts and so on. If you're Venezuela, you get an entire hybrid war strategy. 
So the, the screenwriters knew that in the Americas, the only way to be sovereign is to be underwater. The only way to have a sovereign republic is deep underwater. It's a remarkable film because you have these two sovereign territories, one on the surface on the African continent, one under, underwater in the Caribbean, could make an alliance. But they can't permit that. You have to have them go to war and the benevolent imperialists can smile from the sidelines. You see, what the United States will never permit is countries to have sovereignty and to have independence and to provide a dignified life for their people. Never permit it. They won't permit it in films. They don't permit it in real life. Now look at it quite simply. This is not a war really just about Ukraine. It's not a war merely about Ukraine. I mean, I feel for all people who are in war. I've covered war. I know how ugly it is. I remember the Iraq war. I remember how ugly that war was. I remember the devastation done to Baghdad, the use of depleted uranium in Fallujah. I remember the war in Libya, a country that I've been going back to for years the destruction of that country by NATO. I remember those wars. I saw those wars. They are ugly. All wars are terribly ugly. This war is terribly ugly. It may not be as ugly as the Iraq war, as Noam said. They are using different kinds of mechanisms, but it's ugly nonetheless. It's ugly. It's noisy. Wars are very noisy. They traumatize children. Wars are dirty. They're dusty. They destroy the landscape. It takes a lot to recover from the war, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. People scarred for generations. In Iraq, it's going to take 50, 60 years for people to start coming to terms with the illegal U.S. war against the Iraqi people. In Vietnam, United States used ghastly chemical weapons ghastly chemical weapons. You walk up and down the central region of Vietnam. They can't eat from that soil for generations. Wars are terrible. Wars are ugly. Nobody should be happy about war. That's why we say the only path is negotiations. Got to stop the noise. Got to stop the dust. Got to stop children being traumatized. It's as simple as that. It's not complicated. Got to do everything possible to stop the war. Which war? Which war? Is it only the war in Ukraine? Who remembers? Who remembers? And I say the word remember. Even though it's a contemporary phenomena, I say the word remember because this has been going on since the 90s. There is a war that has been going on in the Great Lakes region of Africa since the 1990s. The war against the people in the eastern section of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, once again, pressure from Western warrior states pushing Kenya, Uganda to invade eastern DRC, to join the Rwandan illegal 
rebel force called M23. Where is the concern about that war? Maybe 30 million people have died in the Great Lakes War since the early 1990s. I reported the war in no northern Mozambique, in Cabo Delgado. Anybody care about that war? Nobody knows what the flag of Mozambique is like. In Cabo Delgado, people rose up because two energy companies, ExxonMobil and Total, are extracting natural gas off their coastline. They can see the rig, but it's the poorest part of Mozambique. When the people rose up in Cabo Delgado, when they rose up in Cabo Delgado, Mozambique sent its army in, couldn't defeat them. Mozambique asked for help. The French government said, we would like to intervene directly, don't want to do it. Too much bad publicity. So the French government effectively made a deal with Rwanda so that Rwandan troops entered Cabo Delgado. Silence! Silence! Africans die, nobody gives a shit. Silence! Where are those people online who are so upset that we're meeting here today? Where are they when Africans are slaughtered so that copper, coltan, all the various components, metals and minerals that go into your smartphones, into the computers, where are they? Where is the outrage about that? Where is that outrage? Where is that anger? No war. No war but class war. No war. No war but class war. No war anywhere. Not just in Ukraine. And you know, why does this war happen even in Ukraine? Again, it's not just about Ukraine. Over the course of the last 20 years, a process of integration has been taking place. A historical process of integration that has been taking place for the first time since the ancient world. And that's the integration of Europe and Asia. Contiguous land mass. Historical integration of Eurasia. It took place partly because of the stupidities of US imperialism. Because let's face it, friends, not only is US imperialism stupid, it's also managed by incredibly mediocre people. And one of them is Antony Blinken. One of them is Antony Blinken. Antony Blinken is an extremely mediocre person. They try to build him up as some kind of intellectual of diplomacy because he speaks French. <laughs> what kind of intelligence does it take? What kind of intelligence does it take to prosecute wars? It's not an intelligent act. The United States prosecuted three wars. One against the people of Iraq, illegal. Second against the people of Libya, catastrophic. And third against the people of Iran, absolutely unnecessary. These three conflicts meant that Europe no longer had easy access to energy from Libya, Iran, and Iraq, which is why Europe became more dependent on energy from Russia. That was one part of the integration. Secondly, this bizarre 
political and economic system called capitalism. Bizarre. It allows a few people to take an enormous part of the social wealth and pocket it. And these people, the ones in Wall Street, the city of London, and so on, don't want to invest that money anywhere. They want to keep their trillions of dollars in illicit tax havens or in their own pet projects like buying Twitter. They're not interested in genuine investment. Europe, which used to rely on foreign direct investment coming from the United States and other places, saw after the financial crisis the disappearance of private portfolio capital from places like the United States, from Canada and so on, except mining companies that like to domicile in the city of London, which is effectively a tax haven and secretive. So who came with investment? The Chinese, the Indians, but mainly the Chinese. Large Chinese investments in Europe, integrating Eurasia. That integration of Eurasia, my friends, is not only historical, it is also the actual process of history. Because whatever the US does, it can only either delay that integration or it can damage it, but it can never stop it. It can never stop it. The integration of Eurasia is just going to happen. And the United States has to come to terms with it. But the US government is refusing to come to terms with it. Now, somebody will say to me, oh, you want to sell out Europe to the Chinese and the Russians and so on. No, it's not a decision I'm going to make. This has nothing to do with me. I'm not even giving you my opinion. I haven't actually given you any opinions of mine except about Black Panther. <laughs> Everything I'm saying to you is the actual process of history. That's what happened. Integration has been taking place. It has scared the US ruling class because it's meant that the European countries, which were tethered by an undersea cable in this Atlantic alliance with the United States and Canada, that Europe started to drift away from the Atlantic Ocean and move towards the Eurasian landmass into its old normal connections, which are ancient and had been blocked by the period of colonialism, blocked by the Cold War and blocked by the post-Cold War dispensation. That integration has been happening. It is inevitable. It's going to keep happening. United States, terrified by that, says that Russia must be weakened and that China must be weakened as well. If you read the national security strategy of the US government, they openly say all measures must be taken to confront China, which is the leading competitor of the United States. You see, from Obama onward, there was an attempt to just talk tough with China. We're going to get you. We're going to break you. We're going to stop Huawei. We're going to prevent you from doing this, prevent you from doing that. The gangster, the godfather, the mafia. You're not going to listen to us. We're going to whack you. Nancy Pelosi, so brave. She's going to fly into Taiwan. <laughs> brave. She's going to fly into Taiwan, guys. 
talk trash about Xi Jinping. Justin Trudeau talking trash about Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping comes up to him and says, hey, listen, you know, don't leak things that we talk about in private. Did you watch that clip? Yeah. Don't, don't, just don't behave like that. And then Justin Trudeau. <laughs> did you, did you see, did you see the way he walked off? It was sort of. Because countries like China, and they're not all countries of the left, countries like India, countries like, they don't, they don't want to take this shit anymore. They don't want to be lectured at by, you know, mediocrities. You know, Justin Trudeau. Who's Justin Trudeau? Blackface, remember? Racist, blackface. What kind of person is Justin Trudeau? Slinking away, no guts. Biden doesn't know his left from his right. Sleepwalking into nuclear Armageddon. What kind of people are these? Even Narendra Modi. You know, not a perfectly... Enough said about Narendra Modi. <laughs> and I, I have said a lot about Mr. Modi and it's got me into a lot of trouble from Mr. Modi. You know, neo-fascist leader. Even somebody like him as a foreign minister who says, did you hear the foreign minister of India was accused, said, stop buying oil from Russia. And he said, let me just tell you some things. I've been looking into this, he said very calmly. And he said, you know, what India buys from Russia in oil in a month, he said, Europe buys in an afternoon. Think about it. I mean, effectively, the foreign minister of a neo-fascist government in India is telling United States media, not today, colonizer. Not today, colonizer. This historical integration is just going to happen. You can't stop it. One of the reasons you need to build a massive peace movement, not only in the United States, but in all the Western warrior states, including Canada. One of the reasons to build this massive peace movement is not that you come out in support of those people out there or these people out here. It's because you have to join a global movement. The mood is changing, friends. People are not interested in this anymore. You've got a handful of white politicians meeting at the NATO meeting a handful of white politicians meeting at the NATO meeting talking about global NATO. Nobody's interested in them. Nobody takes these people seriously. They are not respected. What's the name of the guy who runs NATO? Who cares? Who cares? What's the name of the current CIA head? Who cares? You know what? I don't need to know the names of these people. I want to abolish NATO. I want to abolish NATO. I want to abolish NATO. And I want to abolish the CIA. In fact, in fact, it's for me, you see, for me, I understand, you know, that there's need to change the budget and move the $1 trillion and so on. But my provisional demand is abolish the CIA. That's just the start. 
abolish the CIA. What has the CIA ever done that's been good? Overthrow the government in Guatemala. Overthrow the government in Iran. Overthrow the government in Chile. Overthrow the government in Honduras. Overthrow the government in Bolivia. What has the CIA ever done that's been good? What have they done that's been good? And I even am not sure that it's good for the ruling class. Unless the ruling class likes to see greater and greater instability. And unless the ruling class is actually looking forward to nuclear Armageddon. And they might be. You see, they're crazy enough. If the ruling class can be measured by the intelligence of Elon Musk. <laughs> if the ruling class can be measured by the intelligence of Elon Musk, God forbid. You know, I'm that old kind of Marxist that likes to believe the capitalist class has a rationality. And it might, as a class, have rationality. But the individual capitalists are idiots. As a class, as a class, as a class, they might have a great rationality. But as individuals, they're terrifying. No war but class war. No war, but class war. No war, but class war. <laughs>